There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Matt Barton. How are you, Matt? I'm well. How's, how's things? Yeah, I'm okay. Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about spinal cord. And with the spinal cord, we are going to be talking about a number of important points because the spinal cord is an extremely important part of human anatomy. Matt, when you think of the spinal cord, what comes to mind? Uh, it's part of the central nervous system. Good, good start. <laughs> Which is brain and spinal cord. All right. Um, but the spinal cord, um, how I kind of imagine it is like an elevator. So the brain is the penthouse, um, a, a really big tower, and there's an elevator that's going up to the penthouse and then back down the other floors. Right. So that's the spinal cord. So it's kind of taking information from the brain down the spinal cord to the body and from the body up the spinal cord or elevator to the brain or the penthouse. That's, that's not a bad analogy. I think of a, a highway in which you can travel up and down the highway and you can take various exits off the highway depending on where you want to go. So, I mean, yours is okay. Mine's pretty good. Um, <laughs> all right, let's 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 just take your analogy. So, how many um, in, in my building, my apartment block with a penthouse, Yeah, I've got 31 floors. Okay. Um, how many... Exit points on your freeway. Well, I'd have to say 31 either side of the freeway. Oh, okay. Both yeah. sides. Both sides, yeah. But, uh, but what makes your one difficult is that usually on um, where you go off the highway, there's a different exit and entry, but yours is kind of at the same point. Well, what's, uh, use your <laughs> analogy. Hey, you're getting in and out the same elevator. Yeah, the elevator's just going up and down, but you get the floors off, so people walk off, and then some people come into the elevator. Yeah, but do they come in the elevator from a different side? Um, 
Could do, yeah. It's is a, there a dorsal and ventral aspect of the elevator? Yeah, that's right. Both both door sides. You know those ones? <laughs> well, <laughs> I've got a dorsal ventral aspect of my freeway en- entry and exit. Okay. So we're probably confusing people. You said there's 31 levels, right? Um, so these 31 levels, I assume, are spinal nerves? Yeah, yeah. So they're going to be um, sensory information coming in to the back. Um, and motor signals going out the front, but so I think at we should, each level, we've got to clarify here. When we say back, we don't mean the back of the person or the back of the spinal cord and the front of the spinal cord. What we what we mean is that when you have the spinal cord, you have a spinal nerve that comes out either side, and it's a mixed nerve. And so this mixed nerve means it has both sensory and motor information. Yeah. But when it enters or exits the spinal cord it is coming into or out of the front or back of the spinal cord. And that's what Matt's talking about. It does form, they do come together to form that mixed nerve, but the dorsal or back is for sensory and the ventral or front is for motor. But let's go back to these 31 levels. Okay. Well, let's just go back to the the gross anatomy. So the spinal cord is a continuation of the brain, specifically the medulla or the brainstem. And the spinal cord sometimes is referred to as a spinal medulla, which is just a continuation of the brain essentially going down. And it's about 45 centimetres in length. So if so, if we started at the bra- top of the brain, right, and then moved our way down, you'd, you'd have brain yep. and then the brain stem, which yep. then from top to bottom is midbrain, pons, medulla, yep. and then we've got the spinal cord. Yeah, so then the medulla essentially goes through the biggest hole in the skull called the foramen magnum. So brain and brain stem is in the skull itself yeah. and the medulla moves through the foramen magnum of the yeah. skull. And then, it, then it's a continuation of that, which is now the spinal cord. For how long? 40? 45 centimetres. It's a bit different between, wow. between, I guess, the size of the person um, and the age of the person. Yeah. So, so what um, does that mean? Yours is really short or really long? <laughs> well, um, well, we'll just take a step back for a second. In terms of the column that it's running through, the spinal column, Yeah. How many bones do you have in the column? 33. Okay, so let's just count them Am out. I right? Oh, I'll have to do the maths. All right. So the first lot of bones, and, th- and this is important because these terms will be important for the part of the spinal cord as well. So the first lot of bones after the, um, that the, essentially the skull sits on yeah. are the cervical vertebra. Yep. And there's seven of those. Okay. I've right, got seven. Cervical just means neck. All right. Okay. Just like cervix. Yeah. Then you go into the thoracic, which yep. essentially kind of means upper back. There's 12 of those. All right, so that's 19 so far. Then we go into the the back, which is lumbar. And that means, well, sorry, there's five of those. Yep. So what's that? That's 24. Okay. Then we go into sacrum. Okay. There's five of those. So that's 29. Okay. But they become fused. Okay. All right. But just note that there is five of them, at okay. least embryologically. Yep. And then probably you have three coccyx. So 30, this could be argument. 31, 32. Yeah. So 32, not 33. Bet- between 32 and 33, depends on how you want to argue your point. Oh. Okay. Can we, can we elaborate on that? Oh, just some anatomists would um, argue in the amount of the coccygeals. But oh, really? It's between th- what you said and 33, probably. Okay. okay. Well, I did say 33. Now, um, when 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 the spinal cords develop in in utero, the the cord oh, sneaking in yeah, embryology like typical. This? The spinal cord will go all the way to the sacrum. Doesn't okay. it do that now? No. So oh. it will go all the way to the bottom, 
and kind of joined to the bottom of the sacrum. Okay. Okay. And then, and so where you have these bones stacked on each other, a single bone has a foramen. Okay. A hole. Yep. A big, like a big hole. Um, vertebral foramen. But if you start stacking all these bones on top of each other, now instead of a hole, it becomes a canal. So it's a, v- a vertebral canal. And this is where the cord runs through. So okay. from that, from a, from a magnum in your skull, all the way down to the sacrum, as a baby, oh, sorry, embryo, it's a continuation of this cord. All right. Okay. Happy so, with that? Yeah, I'm happy with that. Are you going to elaborate on? Yeah. The now, fact? Okay. now, now I'm going to say why it, the the length changes. Okay. Good. Okay. So as you start to get bigger, the spinal cord <laughs> never happened for me, unfortunately. <laughs> the spinal cord relative to your vertebral bones shrinks okay so as um the bones get bigger the cord kind of starts to move upwards so even though at the embryo point it would be at about s2 level so the cord actually goes all the way down to s2 but by the time you're born it would be about l3 because it's kind of hasn't lengthened but it's um relative to the bones getting bigger it's kind of moved up so is it like pulling a rubber band where when you when you pull it it gets more narrow but longer yeah kind of like that oh. and that's a, that's a good point to mention because the spinal cord which is just a bundle of neurons but mostly yeah. i mean it gets a bit more complex complex than that but it's pretty much that it's wrapped up in meninges which is important um for that's the, wrapping paper right yeah wrapping paper um now because it originally was adhered to to the sacrum, and now just exactly what you said, it's stretched up now, up to L3, okay? And by the time you're an adult, it's again, this is argued, but it's... So this is the very bottom of the spinal cord. Yeah. It gets pulled up from sacrum yeah. to L3, yeah, and, and this then, is the bottom. And then, yeah, that's right. And then by the time you're, well, between... <laughs> Between five and twenty, yeah, okay, it, big it will, age gap. It, it'll be at L one level, the lower part of L one. Now, okay. when, we, when you say the lower part of L one, the, the spinal cord, um, you know, you said is a bundle of sort of nerve fibers, but as we go down to the bottom, it sort of starts to fray, right, and forms what looks like a horse's tail, which is the cordae equinae, yeah, which actually means horse's tail. Yep. Um, so they're, they're is the that spi- at L? Bottom part of L1? Well, they're the spinal nerves, and that's what we're going to get to. But they're essentially stretched from where they first originated because they all went off at the, the right levels. But because you stretched it from the sacral region all the way now up to L1, you've stretched all those spinal nerves with them, and you've got this long horse's tail. But the point, where does that go down to in the sacrum? It still, yeah, it still goes out at the same um, points of where it first originated. But because you've brought the spinal cord up to L1 opposed to the um, sacrum, yeah. you've got now this whole long bundle of um, nerves, essentially. But, but, the, but it's but the, not the spinal cord. Gotcha. But the, the dense bundle is about L1. Yeah. That, that's where the bottom of that is. And yeah, that's you, right. And that's, and called the conus, and that's called the conus medullus. Medullus yeah. or medullus. I can't pronounce it. Um, but where, the, where the, um, the meninges were stretched... That's called the phylum, phylum terminalis, which is a point that goes all the way down to the sacrum, which is demonstrating to you where the um, spinal cord once was. Okay. And the reason why this is important to know clinically, well, the cord, your spinal cord will end at L1, yeah. which is a lot higher than you think it is. It's If you find the top of your hips, yeah. those kind of... Which um, yours are about at your neck. 
Yeah, which are the um, <laughs> what <well>, your neck, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is the uh, iliac crests, right? Yeah, and you f- move around to the back. That's ballpark where the spinal cord ends. Really? Yeah. And so, what that means? So is let me just clarify something. When you say spinal cord, you are meaning the the thick bundle of nerves. You're not talking about that little horse's tail no. that's branching off, which is sort of just like a frayed end of it. You're not. That's not part that's of right. the true spinal Correct. cord. They are spinal nerves that's still right. that send signals through to your lower limbs, for example. Yep. But they are not part of the spinal cord classically. Correct. And and this is important clinically because. Doctors, physicians will put needles into this part below L1 yeah. to take either cerebral spinal fluid out, which is sometimes called a spinal tap, or put medications in like um, numbing agents. So this is where you could get an epidural. So my wife's going to have a cesarean, a C-section, uh, 2nd of December is when we're booked in. Um, she's booked in because of prior complications. So she will be getting... Um, a epidural. So epidural, we're going to be talking about that in a sec, right? That's referring yeah. to the meningeal, meningeal layers of the spinal cord. Yeah, on top of. But it happens below the true spinal cord Correct. at what, L2 you said-ish. Oh, I think it's even low, L3, L4. L3. And then you can have a spinal anesthesia. But why there? You're saying... you say Because oh, there's no spinal cord now. So it's safe. Well, it's safer. Because if you push the needle in and you go a little bit too far, for example, you're not just going to hit a dense bundle of nerves. It's frayed nerves, so they'll probably move out the road yeah. and it's less likely that things are in the road. Well, technically that, if, if you were to have a needle in where you're talking now, that would be a spinal anesthesia, which is not an epidural. Epidural, you shouldn't be going that far in. Epidural is on the dura, on, yeah. on the outer covering. You shouldn't get that far in. But if you were to go too far, then yes, that what you're saying is right. I think technically speaking, you can do an epidural any length of the spinal cord. Yeah. But if you wanted to take... Risk out. You want to take risk. well if you want to take cerebral spinal fluid out, like a tap, yeah, or put um, uh, anesthesia into the CSF, you would go L three L four because then you wouldn't have a risk of hitting the spinal cord. So is the plan of the epidural um, for let's just say a cesarean section? Obviously, it it numbs everything below that area in which you do it. Um, this is probably a good segue into meninges if you want to talk about them now. It's up to you. But is it just because the anaesthetic bathes the spinal nerves? Is that the plan? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So it, it Just like a local anaesthetic if you were... It's not hitting the spinal cord. It's just bathing the spinal nerves that are coming out or going back yeah, in. Right? Which is usually going to be the quarter equina, which is all the spinal nerves to your lower part of your body. Okay, cool. So do you want to talk about meninges now or should we... Leave that for a little bit later. Well, we might as well mention it. I don't know how much deep depth we need to go into. The, the there's just kind of three wrappings of the um, central nervous system. Yeah. There's the most intimate one that wraps around the actual neural tissue, which is called the pia mater or the delicate mother. Yep. Mater means mother. Um, this is very thin. This is just the intimate wrapping. Then you have a wrapping outside that, which is the arachnoid. Yeah. Okay. Because it's spider mother. Spider-like. Yeah. And under that would be the subarachnoid space. Yep. And that's where the CSF would be. That's what's bathing the spinal cord in this case. And then outside that is the dura, which is the tough. And that's kind of incontinuous with the bone. And that's the hard wrapping. And it's this dura mater that extends along the nerve roots. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. So this is why it's important for the epidural upon the yeah. dura because the spinal nerves move through that dural wrapping. Yeah, and so you can access that epidural space um, all the way along the spinal column, technically. So you could do an epidural technically any point along it, but you wouldn't do a subarachnoid approach, I would imagine, because you're actually going pretty much into the cord then. And so if you wanted to do a subarachnoid approach, you'd have to go, this is just me guessing. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm not a clinician, but three below basically L3 because there's no small spinal cord. Yeah. And so if we want to be specific when we look at the, the lumbar puncture, for example, um, like you said, to extract cerebral spinal fluid from the subarachnoid space. So yeah. that, that needle is put through uh, between the spinous processes of L3 and L4, or sometimes between L4, L5. Um, the needle pierces that. Did you talk about the ligamentum flavum? No, so there's a number of ligaments that kind of hold the um, all the bones together. Yeah, and you hold a lot of muscles there as well, which there as well, which gives a lot of strength. Um, I think this is where I remember you saying that because <laughs> your wife Kel, yeah, um, is a fitness Freak. fanatic. A fanatic is probably good one, and yeah. she does a lot of um, deadlifts and so forth. So she's probably got super strong muscles between her vertebral bones, but also her ligaments there. Yeah. So when I'm a, I think when you said when the when the physician tried to put the needle in, it was like the hardest thing he's ever experienced. Yeah. The anaesthetist was taking ages to the to do the epidural, and I used to work with him. And I'm like, mate, why are you taking so long? And he said, "Does your wife do a lot of exercise?" And I go, "Yes." He goes, "I can't get through the ligaments of her back." He goes, "And obviously, you don't want to push too hard because yeah. you you go too deep." But um, so. When a lumbar puncture has been performed, yeah, you've got to pierce that ligamentum flavum and, and the wall of the dural sac before you, you enter um, basically what's called the lumbar cistern. Yeah. And that's, that's where you sort of take that spinal fluid. From. And because you're taking fluid, you're going to depressurize yeah. the whole system and a person generally will get a headache because that's a continuation up into their brain. Of course. And any changes with the CSF will change the way that the nerves that wrap, because this is the nerves around the central nervous system and this is usually what causes headaches. Um, if it's over-pressurized or under-pressurized, it will cause pain. Yeah, okay. And, and, and even with people with uh, high intracranial pressure, if you were to depressurize it by putting a lumbar puncture in and then actually let the pressure out, my understanding is it causes the brain to herniate straight into the femur magnum and they'll die pretty much instantly. Really? Yeah. So don't do a lumbar puncture on somebody who's got increased ICP? Well, I, don't, I think don't do a lumbar puncture and depressurize it. I think mm. they can do... Uh, please check this. This is just me working from theoretical Look, I promise principle. you, no one's doing a lumbar puncture <laughs> As we uh, after, we t- <laughs> after we talk about this thing. Oh, okay, I might just give this a shot. But I think if you, if you put a lumbar puncture in just to measure the pressure yeah. and you weren't taking anything out, or you weren't you weren't depressurizing. I think potentially it'd be fine. But if you depressurized it, look, I'm sure any physician who's going to be performing it isn't going to be working off this podcast, right? Concurrently, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, all right. So when so Matt was talking about earlier the vertebrae and said that there's levels of the vertebrae: the cervical, the thoracic, the lumbar, the sacral, and the coccygeal. Now we also have when we look at the spinal cord levels of the spinal cord that have the exact same names. Yeah. Now. 
Yeah. But the spinal nerves don't necessarily match with the amount of spinal bones, right? Yeah. So you said there were how many cervical vertebrae? Seven. Seven. And you said there were 12 thoracic, yeah. five lumbar, yeah. five sacral that are fused, and three coccygeal, give or take one. Is that yeah. correct? Okay. Yeah. So now when we look at the spinal nerves, we need to think about the fact that spinal nerves are going to exit the spinal cord and they have to move between each vertebrae. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So it's moving between each vertebrae. There's intervertebral discs, um, which help have a cushioning support of the vertebral column itself, but the spinal nerves need to come out between each vertebrae. Now, when we look at the cervical neck level, while there may be seven bones, there's eight yeah. cervical nerves. Yep. And the, it's simple. The reason being is because there's seven vertebrae. You can draw them out. The first cervical uh, uh, mixed nerve is going to come out above yeah. the first vertebrae and so the, the last comes out below the last one. Yeah, so this is the only exception where one comes above the respective vertebrae. Yeah. Every other spinal nerve is below it. So that means we have 33 pairs of spinal nerves. No, 31 because we we fuse bones low, lower down. So okay, yeah. 31 pairs. All right, so we are now going to look at what happens if you were to take this mixed nerve, for example, and follow it into the spinal cord. I think what we should do is follow a sensory pathway into the spinal cord up the elevator and then send a motor signal down the spinal cord out. What do you reckon? And then we'll have covered all bases. Okay. Okay, so remember that I said that your spinal nerves, 31 pairs coming into and out of the spinal cord, mixed nerves... Sensory information, so that's bringing information from what's happening outside the body but also what's happening inside the body. And we know that sensory information can be things like touch, pressure, pain, proprioception. Um, uh, what else can there be? A whole bunch of vibration, you know, vibration, chemical stimuli, all, mm-hmm. all this type of Propri- sensory information. Proprioception, did Said you that. Say that? Yeah. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so all this information is coming in to the spinal cord through the mixed nerve. Now, it branches off from this mixed nerve and goes into the spinal cord via the back, and that's called the dorsal nerve root. Yep. Uh, and the dorsal nerve root enters the back of the spinal cord or the dorsal aspect of the spinal cord. And what you're going to find is part of this dorsal nerve root, there's a little, uh, what, what would you say? It's called a ganglia, but it's like an outpocketing, a bulging of yeah. the dorsal nor- nerve root. Mm. What's sitting inside of this ganglia? The name should give you a hint, right? Just the cell bodies of those neurons. Okay, so the cell bodies of sensory neurons are sitting within the dorsal root ganglion. Yeah. And ganglia is, tells you, that word tells you, it's where cell bodies sit. And roughly, the way we do it is, if it's a ganglia, it's cell bodies of the peripheral nervous system. And if it's nuclei, it's cell bodies of the central nervous system. And this is one of the reasons why they renamed basal ganglia to basal nuclei because it's referring to cell bodies of the central nervous system. But here, we're still peripheral, right? We're not in the spinal cord yet. All right, so a sensory neuron, let's just say I've tickled Matt's thigh and I don't know why I chose that example. (laughs) I didn't say inner thigh. I tickled Matt's thigh. It's sending a sensory information in, goes past this ganglia and goes into the back of the spinal cord. All right, Matt. And then, so this would be, you know, at the, let's say, right, L, yeah. L, lumbar, three, four level. I okay, can't perfect. remember the dermatomes, but the 
about that ballpark area. Okay, so it's coming into the lumbar aspect. Now remember, because it's below L1, that means it has to go up those cordoquano. Okay, so it's not hopping in the elevator yet. Not yet. Okay, it's just sending up the cordoquano and then enters the lumbar aspect of the the actual spinal cord itself. Now, once it enters the spinal cord, if we were to perform a cross-section of a spinal cord and look into the spinal cord... So you cut it in what plane? It's called a transverse plane. Okay, so if I cut... You in a transverse plane, you'd have an upper segment and a lower segment. Yeah, you're separating me into upper and bottom bottom halves. So you cut it through. So um, now you're looking into the spinal cord. Bird's eye view. Bird's eye view. All right, what do you see, Matt? How would you describe it? Um, It's kind of got, it's like a pillar uh, and it's got this kind of grey letter H drawn in the middle, right in the middle. Okay, and then on the outside of the H. It's all white. It's all white. So you've got grey stuff, white stuff, grey matter, white matter. Yep. So you're saying the grey matter is... Looks like a letter H. Looks like the letter H. So, and it's right in the middle of the spinal cord. Right in the middle. And the, whites on the, and the white matter's on the outside. Yeah. This is the opposite to the brain, right? That's if right. you were to do a transverse section yeah. of the brain. So why is it, why is it the opposite? Um, well, uh, I'm not sure. I know the answer. Okay, go. I just thought you would have too. Go I for mean, it. it's, it's obvious, I, th- I think. Okay. So firstly, the work from first principles, grey matter. Well, okay, what do you know about grey matter? Uh, it's where like communication points are and... Cell bodies are. Yeah, synapses and cell bodies yeah. of the central nervous system. That's grey matter. What do you know about white matter? Um, tracks. So it's um, going somewhere. Yeah, they're the axons yeah, of axons the neurons. Right? Okay. If you look at the brain, the cortex, which is basically the outer shell of the brain. Um, it's grey. Is grey matter. And so there's it's a lot of synapses, a lot of things happening, a lot of communication. It's a lot. It's the site of where we make sense of information. But if you think about it, when you want to send information, you know, project from one place to the next, that's the highways, that's the white matter. Mm. And where are we going to send this information? We're going to send it to the spinal cord or the spinal cord is going to send it to the brain or to the cortex. So the white matter must be more centralized within the brain itself. But for the spinal cord, the information needs to be sent out and away from the spinal cord. Mm. So the white matter is on the outside Mm. and the integration happens in the middle. And so the integration of the information, the making sense happens deep within. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so we've got the highways on the outside. They're the axons. We've got the grey... Which is going up and down. Yes, yeah. perfect. Going up and down the spinal cord. And we've got the grey matter on the inside. Now, we're still talking about sensory information. So if this signal comes into the dorsal aspect of the spinal cord, it's going to the back part of an H, right? Yeah. So let's just say I tickled your right inner thigh, okay. it goes up a sensory neuron of your thigh, mm-hmm. goes into your corda equinae on the right side, the right same side. side that I tickled you, goes up the corda equinae into the spinal cord on the right side, yep. at the back, the dorsal aspect, yep. passes the um, dorsal root ganglion and goes into the H, yeah. the grey H, right at the back, yep. on the right-hand side. Yep. So if you drew the H up, it'll be the right top tip of the H. Yeah, we can go through this a bit later, but yeah. All right, so what's going to happen now? Once it's once it's in that H, it's telling you that it needs to talk to another neuron, right? Well, this is where it becomes a bit complicated, and I'm not sure if you want or we should discuss the different modalities of sensory information, which splits them into two bundles, two halves. Okay. Um, information that is 
for di- discrimination information that's probably more kind of noxious and damaging like. Yep. Not always, but usually along those divisions. So if it's a pleasant sensation... Which if, this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's pleasant, if it's um, not damaging, it won't really do much at this point. It'll just fly up to the brain. Okay, so it jumps into the H and then jumps back out of the H into, yeah, up into a highway. Into the posterior column, the posterior tracks of the spinal cord. So the white matter that sort of sits at the back of the H between the two yeah. tops of the H. Yeah. Do, are we, do you think we're losing people with this? I think this is a good analogy to it's use. It's hard to do without an, an image, but essentially yeah. that's correct. Yep. Everyone can draw an H up while they're listening to this, I think. Yeah. Um, so what that means is then it will fly up to the brain. But if you were to... On the same side that it entered? That's right. And this is touch. This is this, is this pleasant inner yeah. thigh tickle. So if, you, so if you were to get a, fe- <laughs> a, fe- a feather and okay. do it, and yeah. do it yeah. that would be the same. Am I wearing a mask? If you, <laughs> if you were to just to do like it with your... Just a light touch with your finger, that would be the same. If you were to even get a, a vibration um, fork... <laughs> what are we... Okay. Like a... Like a yeah. and put that on there, yeah. it would also be the same kind of uh, pathway. But if you then got a... a whip. Uh, <laughs> if you got like a knife and just stabbed me with it <laughs> or a cigarette lighter. Okay. Uh, so or... Um, <laughs> an, oh we're move, God, we're moving this, into... Oh, I'm going to say this. Oh, or an ice cube. <laughs> I don't know if we're I don't know if we're talking AMP or we're talking your kinks. It's, it's, it's too hard to discern now. Okay, so but you're, what you're saying is, if we now move into the realm of pain that, or temperature, yeah, temperature, which is yeah, no pain, temperature, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, if it's pain or temperature, and it and it hits that inner thigh and goes up into your spinal cord, cord equinae into the vertebrae, same side it enters, goes into the back part of the H, so yep. the dorsal grey horn it, is what it it's end, called. It kind of ends there. Okay, so. This is different to yeah, that's the other one. The tickle, yeah. which which when it enters, it jumps into the back part of the white matter yep. and travels straight up, straight up, which to the, the brainstem. It doesn't, okay. doesn't stop. So that's how long that one neuron is. All right, and that's called the dorsal column. Yep. All right. Now the pain one that, or temperature one that came in, yeah. you said it stops here. But when you say stop, you mean it just talks to a second neuron, yeah, right? That's right? In that grey horn. Yep. All right. And so, and I'm not sure if you want me to want me to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, particularly pain. Yeah, it will actually project its dendrites, so its end part. Um, it can actually go up two levels and down two levels. So it just not stops at that level, but it can also go up and down. But so, what it's but what it does do, but it so ends keeping, there. Yes. Yeah, so keeping that in mind, it the way I like to think about it for pain is that it enters the spinal cord and around about the same level, yeah. it talks to the second neuron. Now it can do it. As soon as it enters, or it can go up one or two and do it there. But that second neuron, once it speaks to that second neuron, it crosses to the other side of the spinal cord immediately, right? And that's called decussation. All right, so let's just say tickle the thigh goes in the spinal cord, talks at the the site that it entered the spinal cord, it talks or synapses with the second neuron, that crosses to the other side and jumps into some white matter. Yeah. Okay. Which is called the anterior lateral. Spinothalamic tract. Okay. Sounds horrible, but anterior lateral is saying it's at the front and the side. If Spinothalamic you, is telling you where it's going from the spine to the thalamus. Yeah. If you want to simplify the white matter in your spinal cord, yep. so all that white matter, which is around the H, 
you can um, condense it into three columns, three parts, a posterior column, a lateral column, and an anterior column. All right. The posterior column is the one we already spoke about. That's fast. That's for touch, fine touch yeah. proprioception. And that's always sensory. All right. The other two, the lateral and the anterior, can be a combination of both sensory information and also motor. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and so that pain one is now going up the opposing side of the spinal cord. Yeah. And, and, this, and this is probably an important point because fine touch and proprioception goes up the spinal cord on the opposite side to pain and temperature. Yeah. So fine touch goes up the same side it enters. Yeah. Pain and temperature goes up the opposing side it enters. Yeah. And this is going to be important. We're going to do a, another podcast, which will come out in the next couple of weeks. And this is going to be on spinal cord injury. And yeah. This is important because individuals who have an injured spinal cord, it's, it's quite uncommon that the whole spinal cord is transected, but only various parts of it is. Yeah. So what we call a hemi or partial lesion. And if it's only on one side, it's going to affect touch and proprioception differently potentially to it affects temperature and pain yeah and we'll talk about that in the future which is called brown saccard syndrome and matt matt mike's done 15 videos on it there's <laughs> a whole playlist on it that's right all right so that goes up to the brain we're not going any higher than that because we're talking about spinal cord here so we're not going to talk about its role at the thalamus and cortex or anything like that but there's touch that's gone up now let's just say that the the tickle to matt's leg was not an enjoyable tickle and so he wants to move his leg away from me tickling. Okay. So this is now a motor output, right? All right. So this is now a, a reflex. And this is, is this what you mean? Um, yeah. Okay. That's good. Let's talk the reflex because, yeah. So this is also important because sometimes we think that the spinal cord is just a relay center or a relay point of just sending information up and sending information down. But the spinal cord can also process information itself. Yeah, that's right. And respond to certain things for, you know, survival, let's say. So, for instance, let's just say it was a, a painful sensation like um, temperature. And if you were to put your... Well, just let's go away from the thigh for a second. So, if you were to reach behind you, not looking at where you're putting your hand, and you put it onto a hot plate, this would be a noxious stimulus, which is a painful stimulus and uh, a tissue-damaging stimulus. And so, this sensory information would get put into your spinal cord... Now, it would relay up to your brain to tell your brain what you're doing, but at the same time, it would create a reflex which would allow you to move your hand off the hot plate. So um, this is without, a, local, a local circuit, yeah, right? Without even knowing. So you've already moved your hand away before you're conscious of the pain. Okay, how? Be because of this reflex. So we have a lot of reflexes throughout the whole spinal cord, but essentially what they're doing is sensory goes in, there's an interneuron, which is a neuron that's in the middle and then a motor neuron that goes out to, in this case, to, to the muscles to move my hand away. Mm. And so it's a kind of a three uh, neuron pathway and the interneuron is the one that links them together and that's found in the grey matter. So it would be located in the H um, of the spinal cord. But in this case, because I'm using my hand, not my inner thigh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be up. No, that reflex of, would be the cremaster reflex. <laughs> <laughs> That would be higher up, you know, looking at, say, C7 or C8. So, for a reflex, noxious stimuli of a sensory neuron into the spinal cord, synapses in the grey matter with an interneuron, which then synapses with an outgoing motor neuron. 
yep. lower motor neuron, and that goes straight back out to the muscle of, let's just say you touch the hot plate to the bicep, and it tells it to contract, and that yep. contraction shifts that arm away. Yep. So it's a reflexive response. It doesn't involve the brain, so conscious... Not to move, but, yes. but you will feel the pain, you know, milliseconds later. Yeah. Um, because your brain's made in, uh, interpreted, oh, this is bad. Mm. Because when that sensory um, uh, neuron comes in that you spoke about earlier, this is going to be the, the, the temperature pain one, it's synapses. Now, one neuron will cross over to the other side and go up to the brain, but there's going to be also synapses or communications with an interneuron which says we better get this hand out of the way quickly so it will just do a reflex quickly and do it. And so this is a basic spinal reflex arc, right? Yeah, and there's other ones. Like so crossed extensor reflex. Yeah, so there's other ones. So um, there's, you know, just like a tendon reflex. So if you were to, you know, hang, hang your legs off the, the bed and so they're kind of just dangling and you were to tap the patella just below the patella yeah you would see the leg kick out okay that's a reflex so yeah. that's not going to your brain to tell your muscles to move but a similar thing's happening you're, similar you're things. stimulating a sensory receptor this time a, a stretch receptor yeah stretch receptor it goes into the spinal cord hits an interneuron that then hits a motor neuron goes out and says oh don't stretch too much I, we're going to break how can i stop the stretching i know i'll contract so it contracts the thigh, or contracts the quads, yeah. and then it shortens. Yeah. So the stimulus was a lengthening, and then the outcome was a shortening. Correct. Uh, and so, the, like you said, there's heaps of these types of reflexes. You've got crossed extensor reflexes, and which because simply means... Wait a minute. <laughs> which simply means it goes to the other side of the spinal cord. And so you've got an example. If you're walking barefoot, and with your right foot you step on some glass... What you want to do is pull that right foot off the ground. Without you can't, falling over. Well, yeah, you can't pull the right foot off the ground without planting the left foot. So the cross extensor reflex is to contract one set of muscle groups on one side and contract an opposing set of muscle groups on the other side. So yeah. hamstring contraction to lift that leg up. Flexor extension. Yeah. Exactly right. And then on the, on the other leg, you contract to plant that foot down. And so that's a cross extensor reflex. But it works by the same sort of you know, um, interneuron, yeah. sensory talking to a motor neuron, sending an output straight back out, bypassing the brain or at least bypassing yeah, cortical to, to that involvement. Function. So that's why, you know, if you were to have spinal cord injury, um, you would, may not necessarily feel that sensation, but the reflex arc could work. So if the you, lower motor neuron's intact, yeah. Yeah, so it would move it away. Okay, but you would have no idea what happened from a sensory experience point that's of view. That's right. And probably an important point here is that when we look at, and this sort of leads us into uh, sending a motor signal out of the spinal cord. And so when you want to move a leg, so this is not a reflex at the moment, but it'll lead back into reflexes. If Matt wants to consciously move his leg, that has to start at the cortex of the brain, right? And it's Same, an, same side, opposite side? Opposite side. So if it's his right leg he wants to move, so let's just say I tickle his thigh with that feather, it's not a reflexive movement, but he's uncomfortable, and he wants to move that leg away from me. It starts at the cortex, the motor cortex of his brain mapped to his leg. There's an upper motor neuron where the cell body sits in the cortex. It sends a signal down. This is coming from the left-hand side of his motor cortex. It goes down, moves through the medulla, crosses to the other side at the medulla, and then moves down his right-hand side of his spinal cord. And then at the level in which it exits, this upper motor neuron, so it's a really long neuron, right, from the cortex all the way to the level of the spinal cord that it's going to exit, it then synapses with a lower motor neuron, and that's the neuron that exits the spinal cord and goes to the muscles of his leg to contract to move. 
Is that, does that make sense? That's mm. okay. Okay. So this is important because lower motor neurons love to send signals. They just want to send, 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 send a signal to tell muscles to contract. What the upper motor neuron does is it modulates the lower motor neuron. So it allows it or stops it, basically. So the upper motor neuron plays a really important role in modulating or um, controlling the lower motor neuron. The reason why I'm saying this is we're going to talk about this in detail with spinal cord injury, but when you have a reflex arc, Mm. the upper motor neuron is telling the lower motor neuron, hey, don't send the signal to contract if there's no need to contract. And so when a reflex arc happens, it basically, the interneuron just allows the lower motor neuron to tell the muscle to contract. So it's saying, yeah, you you can do what you want to do and contract. But in a spinal cord injury, when that upper motor neuron's gone, the inhibition has disappeared. And so you can have a hyper-reflexive response, mm. right? Because there's no inhibition of the lower motor neuron. So you can stimulate a reflex, like the patella tendon reflex you were saying before, and the reflex is exaggerated. We'll go into yeah, detail this with, with a future spinal cord injury episode. But that works through motor neurons too. Now, the, motor, the lower motor neuron, which is coming out of the spinal cord, it's coming out of the ventral gray horn, right? So the motor yeah. neuron... The lower motor neuron, its cell body, is in the ventral gray matter of the spinal cord and it exits the spinal cord via the ventral nerve root. There's no ganglia because the cell body of the lower motor neuron is actually in the gray matter. So that's the the cell body of the lower motor neuron? Yeah, the cell body of the uppers. Up in the cortex. Yeah. Okay. Huge, huge long neuron is the upper motor neuron. Uh, Especially if you're talking about muscles to move the legs. Yeah, so I think with that said... if you were to do that cross-section through the spinal cord mm. and look at the H, okay, the lower parts of the H... Um, the feet of the H? Yeah. Um, in certain parts of the spinal cord, they're much bigger. So in the mm. thoracic region, they are small, okay? But in the cervical, um, yeah, pretty much the cervical, let's just say from C5 to T1, they're very big. Okay. And then the, in the lumbar sacral region, they're also very big. All right. First principles, because mm. I like this, because what you've done is you've set up a scene and hopefully students who are listening will know why this is the case. So you said the thoracic spinal cord, the dorsal gray horns are small, smaller compared to the cervical and lumbar. We're talking about the, the ventral horn here, sorry. Did you say dorsal horn? Sorry, I meant ventral horn. Okay. If I said if I yeah. said dorsal, I meant ventral horn. Yeah. The the part of the grey matter where the motor neurons yeah. sit. Yeah. Right? Why? Think, 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 think. Where does the thoracic motor neurons, where are they going to innovate? What are they going to tell to move? Are there limbs of the thoracic area? No, the limbs are higher up for the cervical region and the limbs are lower down for the lumbar sacral region. But there's no limbs there's just the abdominal region and there's just the back and the there's thorax, yeah. very few motor well, responses that are required split, in those areas. Skeletal muscles, yeah. Yeah, so there's just less area. So the way the body works is if you have more fine control of an area uh, or an area is uh, larger anatomically and requires more movement, it's going to have a larger area of nervous tissue dedicated to it. Right, So if you look in the brain, I know we're not talking about the brain, but if you look in the brain, areas that have high densities of sensory neurons, like your hand, for example, there's just a bigger area of the brain mapped to your hand because yeah. it needs more neurons. And the same thing happens with motor neurons. 
If we're looking in the spinal cord, well, the thoracic area, there's hardly any muscles to move. So there's less area in the ventral gray horn dedicated to it. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Um, and so also at the same time, if you were to pull the spinal cord out and look at it along cylinder structure, mm. there would be two enlargement areas, one in the cervical high thoracic region and one in the lumbar sacral. And this corresponds to also that higher amount of motor neurons. Okay. So they're, they're called a cervical and a lumbar sacral enlargement. All right. Now, I think... But, the, but one thing to add, in the thoracic region... Of course, region, it always, always is. With your letter H... Yeah. Okay, if when you're drawing the crossbar part... Yeah. If you go too far out... All right. Okay, so it's got like additional grey matter horns. This is called the lateral horns. And you find those in the thoracic region. So the H is a bit odd looking in the thoracic region because there's a greater amount of different type of neurons. What's what's in the thoracic particular T1, it's actually T1 to L2, that's not anywhere else in the spinal cord? Well, what I know is the famed autonomic nervous system, and we know there's two divisions of the autonomic or automatic nervous system, which is the sympathetic and parasympathetic, sympathetic fight or flight, parasympathetic rest and digest, I know that the sympathetic nervous system is also termed the thoracolumbar system because these neurons will exit the spinal cord at the thoracic and lumbar region. Yep. I think that the cell bodies of these neurons for the sympathetic nervous system, they sit within these lateral grey horns. Yep. Am Correct. I right? Yep. What do I get? Um, Tickle of the thigh with a feather? <laughs> oh, okay. That's good enough. Yeah, so um, in the thoracic region, and this is because it's your trunk, you have a lot more um, viscera. Trump. Did you say trump? Trunk, trunk. Oh, okay. You have a lot more viscera, so a lot more organs, opposed to, let's say, the cervical, C5 to T1, where you've just got the arms and the lumbar sacral where you've got the legs and you've got all the motor going out to those. They're a somatic motor. Yeah. But in the thoracic region, you've got a lateral horn, okay, which is for all the visceral motor. I never actually thought thought of it like that. That's a good point. Yeah. I suppose you're right. So much viscera is in the that particular area. Yeah. Okay, so... And so this is heart, lungs, gut, livers. Yeah, of course. <laughs> one yeah, li- one liver. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, in, okay, in saying that, um, if we stick to the sympathetic nervous system, yeah. those first order neurons of the sympathetic nervous system are exiting the spinal cord from the thoracic and lumbar region. Yeah. The cell bodies are sitting in the um, uh, lateral gray horn yeah. and they exit the spinal cord, but they actually enter like a secondary spinal cord. Like yeah. w- w- a chain. A chain, like it was called a para- the paravertebral ganglia. Is that right? Because um, there's a whole yeah. bunch of cell bodies. Para on, next to vertebra. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of cell. And that pretty much goes the length of the spinal cord, right? Actually goes longer. Yeah, longer yeah, because yeah, it cord. can go up. You can... You can take these neurons up to the cervical and yeah, further. Now, do we know why we have this? Because the parasympathetic nervous system doesn't have a paravertebral ganglia. No, but um, I've got so, a hypothesis. So the parasympathetic, which is craniosacral, whereas the sympathetic is thracolumbar. Yeah. So the parasympathetic is going to get the top half of it, the craniosacral, the cranial part, is coming from cranial nerves. So that's coming out of the brain, essentially. And brainstem. And whereas the only part of the um, 
the parasympathetic is lower is the sacral segment, which is below it. So technically that area would also have a lateral horn, but you're, you're only seeing the S2 to S4 as ner- nerves going down to the pelvic viscera. So bowel bladder as an example. Bowel bladder, um, sexual organs. And what about the fact that there's no paravertebral ganglia for the craniosacral or parasympathetic nervous system? I've got a theory. Okay. Well, theory is probably I still have ganglia, but just not the, the chain. Yeah, exactly right. Well, this is the thing. If you were to break up those two systems, we've spoken about it before. The sympathetic nervous system has a short... So there's, it's a two-neuron system to go from the spinal cord to the organ that it innovates to tell it to do something. The first neuron for the sympathetic fight-or-flight system is short goes from the vertebrae to the paravertebral ganglia, mostly. And then the second one's longer, from the paravertebral ganglia to the organ. And then for the parasympathetic, it's the opposite. It's got this long first-order neuron from the spinal cord, which sit and which goes all the way pretty much next to the organ, and then it synapses with the second neuron that then goes to the organ for the uh, parasympathetic. I think the reason why there's a paravertebral ganglia for the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, is because the paravertebral ganglia is like another spinal cord in the sense that when you have a neuron entering it and synapsing with another neuron in this paravertebral ganglia, this is like an overactive um, elevator system like Matt was talking about in which when you hop on one floor, it sends signals to every other floor. Yeah. And so if, for example, some, some part of my, okay, let's just say uh, I have some sort of stimulus this is probably isn't physiologically possible but some sort of stimulus that's happening at uh, t6 right some some sympathetic stimulus coming out of t6 right it's going into the paravertebral ganglia synapses with the second neuron but it also synapses with every other neuron in that chain which means the signals coming out of the parasympathetic out of the sympathetic ganglia or paravertebral ganglia goes to every sympathetic organ of the body and you get a global or systemic wide sympathetic or fight or flight effect that's why you don't have localized sympathetic effects the fight or flight system needs to activate everything to keep you safe and alive in that moment it's all or nothing so your pupils will dilate your heart rate will increase your breathing will change your uh, you'll go very pale because it's shunting blood to different areas you know all of that happens. You don't just get pupillary dilation. You don't just get increased heart rate when you activate the system because it, that chain is an elevated system that stimulates everything. But with the parasympathetic, it is just one. It can be just one cyst organ at a time because there's no. It's it's more demarcated. It's far yeah. more demarcated. Yeah. So you can, you can have just a vagal response for parasympathetic. You like can, me, I just pass out when I vomit. Yeah, he passes out when he poops. So not poops, just vomit. <laughs> Well, I've spread that rumor now, so that's that's going that's going to our tens of thousands of listeners around the world. Um, I think we're done. Um, well, I think we're done. Part of the reason why I just wanted to talk about the sympathetic is when we when we go into the spinal cord injury, um, one very serious complication of a spinal cord injury that impacts um, the thoracic region can cause a dysregulation of the sympathetic nervous system. So half the body could be doing one thing autonomically and the other half could be doing the other yeah. because there's a loss of communication. So that's, yeah. And then also because good point, um, your parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest, is controlled, a big part of it's controlled by the cranial nerves. So even with a spinal cord injury, they're still arguably intact, but the lower part 
which is the the viscera, the pelvic viscera, can be impacted. So this could be causing problems to the bowel, bladder, sexual functions. And that's partly because the communication down to the parasympathetic is impacted. And you're talking specifically spinal cord injury. Yeah, right? yeah. that's right. And that's going to be the focus of the, the, ne- the next, next podcast, which will be really interesting. We're going to have uh, a special guest, uh, Dr. Dinesh Palipana. Dr. Dinesh is well, he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's an emergency physician. He's a lawyer, and he's also a um, he's suffered a cervical spinal cord injury. Yeah. So he's overqualified. <laughs> he's overqualified to to talk with us um, as we humbly sit back and listen to him uh, basically expel all his knowledge uh, about spinal cord injury. And it's going to be a wonderful episode. So that's going to be next. But apart from that, you can contact Matt and myself. You can send us an email. GU Biosciences, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. You can uh, contact me on Instagram, Dr. Mike Todorovic. That's D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C. That's my Instagram handle. And also my Twitter handle as well, Dr. Mike Todorovic. Um, Matt, Twitter? He's just not bothering I've anymore? retired. Okay. Don't worry. If you want to contact Matt, don't <laughs> worry. It's pretty boring anyway. <laughs> Feel free right. to contact me. Um, apart from that, we're going to keep releasing these episodes for free for you. Hopefully and you love it. Those of you who listen, actually not, not listen, watch, well, I guess partly listen, uh, our YouTube videos, <laughs> Yeah. Um, Mike came up with the bright idea that we're doing two-minute videos just as a side project. Yes, we're still doing the full-length, you know, 10 to 15-minute videos. But if you would like us to do some two-minute ones... Let us know. Email us, send us a, some requests, and yep. we'll happily do those for you as well. Sounds great. Thank you, everybody. Best of luck with your studies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 